0: Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Saturday, July 31st. Hope everyone's doing well and enjoying the Olympic Games. It's been so much fun to watch the top athletes from around the world in sports that we don't usually think about but fall in love with during this two-week period every single year. Um, It's always so much fun and it's been really, really cool to see just the Olympics take place this year, one year later and just get a taste of all the different events and just the level of uh, level of athlete just in all these sports cuz so we spend so much time thinking about football, basketball, baseball, but just remembering that there's so much more out there in the world of sports and so many tremendous tremendous athletes who deserve the spotlight as well. Today on the podcast we're going to recap NBA draft from Thursday night. It was a really interesting draft, Uh, not not too many big names got moved, but still so many trades throughout the draft, some interesting picks that we're going to hit on, and then later we're going to talk big college football news about Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC dilemma. It's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out as it seems official, but we're going to get into all that, but we're going to start with the NBA draft. Draft Thursday night, there were some teams with some interesting selections. So just running through it, the first three picks went chalk. The three best players by consensus for all the quote-unquote experts uh, went in the top three, Cunningham, Green, Mobley. Uh, They all went to the teams that everyone had mocked them at. There was no trades involved. And for the most part, they all went to pretty good fits for them. Cunningham, obviously, with uh, Detroit, is going to have the ball a lot, can be a very ball-dominant player. A lot of usage there to help them. They have uh, Jeremy Grant, uh, Olympian. Detroit may be able to contend for that last playing spot next year. Really depends how good Cade Cunningham is. You know, Houston going with Jalen Green got exactly what they needed, which is a good prospect. The Houston's truly starting over. Green will have a chance to score a lot of points, take a lot of shots, and be a foundational building block and play through a lot of mistakes next year. Mobley. Went to Cleveland. Mobley might be the best long term prospect in this draft due to his size and skill ability. But just going to Cleveland, already playing with some good guards. He'll be able to develop there on his timeline. Cleveland maybe trying to make the play up the, the play in game next year, but he'll be able to develop at his own pace and hopefully if he can follow sort of that DeAndre Eaton uh path of get better every single year. So year three, year four, he's much, much better and contending for a playoff team, that would be a really great success. And then the draft sort of changed at number four. I had predicted that the Toronto Raptors would go with Jonathan Kaminga, the G League Ignite uh, wing, but they decided to go with Scotty Barnes, a forward from Florida State. Really interesting pick there as – He's a player who has a lot of intangibles, very good defensively, a great athlete, could play point guard, but he can't shoot. That's his biggest weakness, is his shooting ability. And Toronto with other wings, and Unobi, you know, Siakam, said, you know what? Barnes can provide a lot of things for us. He's a good player. They clearly liked him a lot and decided to go with Scotty Barnes. I found that to be really, really interesting because there's Every year there are guys who you can you are concerned about about shooting ability. And, yes, you can always improve as a shooter. You can always improve and get better. But there's also some guys who just never figure it out and just are guys who just are weak shooters. And it's really hard in the modern NBA to be a productive, good player if you are a non-shooter on, on the court. You have to be someone like a Draymond Green who can literally do everything else – at such a high level and maybe that's what Toronto sees in in Scotty Barnes but if you're going to shoot as poorly as he does coming into the NBA you know by all indications great kid hard worker if he can keep improving his shooting ability this could be a steal but until then it'll be interesting what type of impact he can make in his first year just with that uh, lack of three-point shooting ability so far but really interesting pick there by Toronto because that kind of changed the whole draft from now the magic who were mocked with Barnes all week Jalen Suggs falls into their lap they can grab Jalen Suggs who I think who was my favorite player in college last year the point guard combo guard from Gonzaga he'll play point guard for them day once Markel Fultz Cole Anthony RJ Hampton you know Jalen Suggs is going to be the guy down there. He is a terrific player. Great size. Really good player. Competes. Really, really strong pick there by Orlando. Number six, and this is where it got interesting here. Teams with the most interesting picks. I wrote this down when the draft was going on. The Thunder go with Josh Giddy, a point guard from Australia. He is a player who... I personally did not watch too much of this season, but he has very, very good size. He is a point guard at six foot eight. He is Australian. He played in the, uh, NBL league that LaMelo ball played in last year with other, uh, NBA prospects. And he was the rookie of the year in that league. He's a very good player. He's a terrific passer. Great size. Um, and it was a swing by the Thunder because Josh Giddey could be a an all-star. He could be an all-star type player or it could be a guy who takes some time to develop and work on his shooting ability. But the Thunder with their sort of uh, draft style, just where they are at as a team, they can live with a guy who shot 29% from three and only averaged 10 points a game but has great size and could develop into a team with a lot of ball handlers a lot of guys who whether it's Shea Gillis Alexander him just multiple players on the court who can handle the ball be point guard and just get multi-positional uh players out there to develop and try to get the thunder to their next level and you know Sam Presti uh has hit on a lot of draft picks in his career just like any GM he's also missed on his share of guys but you got. You seemingly we got to give Sam Presti and the Ultimate City Thunder the benefit of the, of the doubt, due to the success that they have had previously drafting players. The same now with the Warriors. The most interesting pick of the night was the Warriors here at seven. The Warriors at seven go with Jonathan Kaminga from the G League. Kaminga, who I talked about in the preview podcast. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. Last year in the G League should have been his senior year of high school. He basically skipped his senior year of high school. He reclassified a year up to play in the G League. He was one of the by far the youngest players in in that league and looked it. He looked like a guy who was super, super young, inconsistent, as most 17, 18-year-olds are just in anything in life, super inconsistent, but an immense, massive, massive talent. And the Warriors, this whole pre-draft process, and I was guilty of this too because I had said that they were going to take Davion Mitchell from Baylor, is they, if the Warriors want to try to compete for a championship next year, they need a guy who is championship ready or more plug-in and playable and that's what made Mitchell so appealing to me for them a backup guard could score could defend but Kaminga is a massive massive talent than than Mitchell just his way more upside at this current point sitting here right after the the draft projecting forward so if you are the Warriors, you say, do we just go all in for this season or do we say, hey, are we are we almost at the end of this run here and do we try to rebuild for the future? And if Kaminga is this massive, massive talent and we can get a potential all-star here at, at a wing position, that could be huge too. Kaminga, I don't think, will be able to be a 35-minute-a-night guy next year for the Warriors, but two years from now, three years from now, he has the type of talent that he can develop into a really, really strong player in in the NBA. And it was just a really interesting pick by the Warriors because it was all about the timeline of competing for a championship or making a trade. And look, maybe because they took uh, Kaminga here at 7, they took Moses Moody at 14, who's another freshman who needs some work in player development-wise, not one of the more NBA-ready plug-and-play guys. Maybe they take those two guys because they're still looking at trades, and they just have more trade value because of their projectability for a team compared to a more ready pick. let's say if they took let's just say Corey Kispert at fourteen, who is a senior and older and has a clear NBA skill, but projectable wise doesn't project as well as Moses Moody just in the eyes of the NBA evaluators just due to his age. So would you are you taking those players? So that in a couple months, if, say, Carl Anthony Towns says, hey, I want out, or Bradley Beal finally says, I'm out, or whoever it is, someone we're not even thinking of yet says, I'm out. They have these players who they're sort of still like draft picks where they're still extremely high upside players and could be a lot easier to trade than than saying if you had more of an NBA-ready player. I don't know. The Warriors also seemingly get the benefit of the doubt from just their last five, six-year run, Uh, but it would be really interesting to see just how good are those guys, how good do they, or or how well do they fit with this team, and is this the end of the Warriors' moves, or or, or are they going to try to do a sign-and-trade for different players or an outright trade during the offseason? Skipping ahead here just a little bit for other really interesting uh, picks, the Pelicans at 10. Really, really, really interesting. because So so the Pelicans make the trade with the Grizzlies. So the Pelicans technically made the pick, but this pick is going to the Memphis Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies took Zaire Williams from Stanford, one of my sleepers uh, in the draft. I was not expecting him to go this early, but I get it. He is an immense, immense talent, one of the top five players in a really strong high school class last year. I don't think people truly understand the impact in what Stanford went through last season, everyone sort of just like, oh, you know, weird season, uh, COVID season, it was just weird for, for everyone. Yes, it was weird for everyone. But it was stranger and more difficult for Stanford because, okay, the guys at UConn for, let's just say, James Book Night. yes, everyone was wearing masks in the facilities, but most of those guys were able to go back to their dorm room and sleep and sleep on campus. Zaire Williams and Stanford's team for about 60-plus days during the regular season were not allowed to go back on campus. They were basically a team without a home gym. They traveled across the country practicing in random gyms, colleges that would let them practice there, play basically all true road games because San Francisco, the Bay Area, due to the COVID spike in the winter, said, professional sports and college sports no so the so the 49ers had to find a new place to play and so did all the colleges and stanford is one of them and you know the women's team when they won the national championship it was talked about all the time and we somehow forgot that the stanford men's team had to go through the the same thing and the way that it brought the stanford women's team a lot closer together and helped them on their journey the players still talked about how insanely difficult it was to go through when you're on the road for six plus weeks, eight weeks at a time. The men's team got, where the men's team went through the same thing. And if you're a freshman, it's imagine that's so difficult. And so, but he's still an immense talent. Do I think that he can compete and be a starter next year? Potentially, I am very high on Zaire Williams, but. All but the people who I don't think he was evaluated correctly going into this, this draft because I don't think people truly understood what went on at Stanford. And that's why I think that this Memphis, they've hit on a lot of draft picks recently. And so this is the one that I see that hey, he could be that all star that we didn't really talk about too much before the draft, but he's going to the right team. Young players in John Morant, Jaron Jackson, you know, other mid twenties guys in, in, in Dylan Brooks. Uh very strong team good coach good culture I think this could be a place where Zaire Williams could really uh, thrive I'm very very high on him and then the other team that I thought was really interesting was the New York Knicks we're going to skip ahead a little bit talk about the Knicks because the Knicks had 19 and 21 going to the draft and they were one of the teams that everyone was talking about trading up in the draft hey they have these two picks can they get to 12 can they get to 13 to take one of those guys a Corey Kispert or or someone else in that range who may be available. And the Knicks traded down. They traded down twice. They got some future assets there. They traded out of 19, where Charlotte took Kai Jones. They traded out of 21, uh, where Keon Johnson, the super athlete from Tennessee, went. And they went down to, to 25 with the Clippers. And they took Quentin Grimes from Houston, the combo guard from Houston. An interesting pick there. He's a 6-5, really good size 6-5 defender, a little older so he fits that that Tom Thibodeau uh mindset of can really defend, really good size, multi-positional, but his weakness as a player and as a prospect is far away shooting. And then in the second round, the Knicks took another guy who's not a great shooter in Miles McBride from West Virginia. And you know, when when you look at McBride, his freshman year, thirty percent from three, sophomore year, forty-two percent from three. Which number is real, right? Which number is right? I have a feeling that it's the free throw percentage that he is a better shooter. But it's he's a second round pick, sort of for a reason. If he's coming in to be a shooter, uh that's great. But you have these two guys who. You have to figure out if they're shooters McBride, not great size, only six foot two point guard. Yes, that they need a point guard, but you had quickly last year. Maybe he'll play backup point guard. When you look at the Knicks, it was team with desperate need of, of three point shooting, and they really only addressed that with with one pick there, um, and maybe even not really in that one pick, depending on whether you think it was his freshman three point numbers or his sophomore three point numbers. So the Knicks not taking a Corey Kispert or a Trey Murphy and trading up for those guys, just guys who are more established as shooting prospects and with that real NBA skill. And now look, you could always try and add shooting, but every year we we see that the impact of shooting, and that was the Knicks' most glaring weakness, and them not addressing it, I found to be just a really interesting decision by the front office there. So the things to remember about the draft and talking about the draft is look i could talk about every single prospect but then this podcast would be four hours long the thing to remember is not all 60 of these picks are going to be star players we generally talk positively about these guys because you want it's the biggest moment of their lives and they're sort of a blank slate you never know what's going to happen but not all 60 are going to make it if all 60 made it every year there would be so much turnover in the NBA. It would be ridiculous. And it already is a league with a lot of turnover. The other thing to remember is fit, 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 fit is the most important thing in the draft. That's why I'm really high on Zaire Williams. I think it's a good fit in Memphis. That's why I'm high on Evan Mobley. Good fit in Cleveland. But Franz Wagner going to the Orlando Magic, don't know how great that fit is for him with just where that team is heading and what that team is good at and and what they're not good at right now. He may prove it wrong, but is that a good fit for him? Seeing with Davion Mitchell going to the Kings. Is that a good fit? Fit is the most important thing in the draft. And then the second most important thing is player improvement and player development. How much are these guys going to get better? How hard are they going to work? How are the teams going to help them develop? How do their bodies develop? When you think of a guy like Evan Mobley or Kai Jones, do their bodies develop more slowly as an 18, 19-year-old? Or do they develop the way Giannis's body developed, where you can put on 50 pounds of muscle in four or five years? Just the luck of your body type and just the development-wise there. Now, the other thing to remember crucially is, and I'll say it again, I can't talk about all 60 prospects. The podcast will be way too long. And there will be three or four players who I did not talk about on this podcast or even previewing the podcast or previewing the the draft on that podcast that will make it, that will potentially be all-stars. Donovan Mitchell, pick 12th or 13th, all-star. Kawhi Leonard, pick 15th, all-star, superstar. Giannis, 15th, two-time MVP, all-star. Finals MVP. Jimmy Butler picked 30th. All-star. The list goes on and on. Paul George picked 11th. All-star. Right? So many of these players who are not in that top, top group, who come in with legit question marks, develop, and they prove us all wrong. And who knows who will be in this year's draft? Nikola Jokic picked 41st in 2014. MVP. MVP. There will be a player we haven't talked about that people aren't talking about that have legit question marks who develop, they get better, they're in their right fit, things go their way, and they can develop into all-star or an MVP caliber player. And that's something to remember too is it's a blank slate now for all these guys. Just because you weren't picked first or second doesn't mean you can't make it and doesn't mean that you can't make an all-star game either. So it would be really interesting to see what happens First taste will be Summer League in a couple weeks, but really excited. The draft is always fun. And coming up, we got free agency, Summer League, and then the start of the season. So the NBA just keeps on ticking. Always so much to talk about there. And it seemingly is always so much to talk about college football wise as well. College football has now turned into a 24 7, 365 a year sport, especially when they're doing conference realignment. Texas and Oklahoma, it is official. They did the proper channels this week. They will be SEC members starting in 2025, potentially earlier. They voted. They wrote the letter requesting. The SEC voted to say yes. They extended the invitation, and both schools have accepted. It is official. The Big 12 is officially in chaos. The SEC has now expanded to include The biggest brand in all college sports, University of Texas, Oklahoma, a great athletic program. This is a massive, massive deal. Hard to overstate or understate how important this is. And there's now real infighting in college football. You have the SEC commissioner saying things about, well, we didn't want to expand the playoff. That was the Pac-12 and the Big 12. All this stuff. The college football playoff will expand. And I think now they're going to have to put a limit on the number of SEC teams who could be there. And I think even, too, now, this Super League thing may start. And the Super Conference is just getting closer and closer and closer. But the thing to remember about this is don't hate the schools who are doing this. Hate the way college football is currently set up. Where money trumps all. And that money is... So the money is so, 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 so much that any school that could join the SEC probably would. Just, you know, that is the nature of the game. So if you want to blame anybody, blame the TV networks for giving out so much money. Blame the NCAA for not limiting how much money these schools can bring in and making it, trying to make it more amateur. Blame, you know, blame someone else for just the nature of college football being driven by the money aspect because it's an arms race and you have to keep up. And all these people who are coming out and saying, you know, I never thought this, this would happen and it's ruining the game. And, you know, I thought that the rivalries and the traditions mattered the most and, and not just the money. And yet when you talk all football season about just the playoff and just the biggest conferences that spend the most money and talk about, oh, so and so has to fire their coach, that Michigan has to fire Jim Harbaugh because they're only nine and two instead of 10 and one, and that, oh, they need to spend more and more money because all these other teams are spending more and more money. Just think it didn't have to be this way, but this is the way it is because we only talk about the playoff, we only talk about the top teams, we only talk about, yeah, Cincinnati's good, but they're not going to make the playoff and then dismissing them as somehow they didn't have an extraordinary season or, or an extraordinary story. And that's the thing to remember is if we cover and talk about the rest of college football and try to shine a light on those teams, yes, the best teams are always going to get covered. But if you only talk about Ohio state and the SC schools in Clemson, you're missing out on a lot of great college football. And there's more to this game than just those teams that can truly compete for the national championship. And part of that is just have to remember that there's, there's more to it. There are still great rivalries at every single level. There's still great games and it's not just a battle for the national championship all the time. And so this is official. They will be in the sec. It's going to be a massive deal. It's going to be crazy to see what happens in the next couple of years with, with, with college football at the top, top, top level. but, you know, just remember, don't hate the schools, hate the game that that they're playing where money has driven all because of just how much money is being thrown around in, in college football. So that'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back this week. Take care and make it a great day.